Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 118 of the GDPR Weekly Show. We begin this week with an update on requirements for collecting data under NHS Track and Trace in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic. We then go to Sheffield, where Sheffield City Council is hiding behind GDPR to avoid releasing stool COVID-19 numbers, i.e. how many pupils at each stool are currently suffering from COVID-19. We then cross to the US, where there's been a data breach by the Delaware Public Health Department releasing some COVID-19 records into the public domain. Then back to the UK, and we have breaking news of a data breach at Manchester United. We then have news of a data breach affecting the very popular children's game Animal Jam. And we then have news from Ireland of a data breach involving a gym management system called Glowfox. We then travel across the Atlantic to Canada where we have exciting news about the Canada Privacy Protection Act which has now begun its journey through the Canadian Parliament and will bring Canadian data protection laws very much in line with GDPR. We then travel to Belgium, where the Belgian DPA has found that in some circumstances, employee consent can be voluntary when given to their employer. We then travel to Spain, where the Data Protection Authority has agreed a GDPR code of conduct for online advertising. And we find that very exciting because hopefully it provides a basis for a code right across Europe and perhaps might provide a resolution for the ongoing dispute in Belgium between the Belgian DPA and the IAB. And then the final article this week is in Belgium, about the Belgian DPA, which has found itself in hot water, as it potentially has been non-compliant itself in some elements of GDPR. So a wide range of articles for you as usual this week. If you have any feedback, please email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. And a big shout out to all those of you who listened to our live Brexit episode on Tuesday this week. We're currently just working on tidying up the recording of that episode and we're looking to release it into the podcast series probably sometime around Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday of this coming week. So do keep an eye out for that. Do have a listen to it. It's a very useful broadcast. And there are also a set of PowerPoint slides to go along with the broadcast. And to access those, you just need to go to www.gdprweeklyshow.com forward slash Brexit and follow the instructions there. You can, of course, listen to the broadcast without the PowerPoint slides, but it's probably more meaningful if you've got the PowerPoint slides in front of you too. This is an important coronavirus update. Stay home. Protect our NHS. We begin this week with a reminder of what data you need to select for the NHS Track and Trace programme. This is in response to numerous requests which you've made to our help desk, and so we know we have mentioned these details before but we feel it's worth repeating them for you. So you're required to record details of all visitors to your establishment, especially for your food establishment, when they arrived, and if at all possible, when they left, and most importantly, their name and their contact number. It's also a good idea to have displayed your venue QR code. You can obtain a unique QR code for your venue by going to www.gov.uk forward slash create hyphen coronavirus hyphen QR hyphen poster. You should display that QR code at each entrance to your premises so that visitors to your premises or customers coming to your premises can scan 
that QR code with the NHS app on their mobile device and that then will record on the device that they were at those premises at that time. If you don't have a QR code or you might want to do this in addition to QR code, you can of course also manually gather the contact details. If the people are in a group of up to six, then you're only required to contact the primary contact details for one member of the group. And unless it's your normal practice, then you're not required to actually verify that those details are correct. So if someone gives you a name and contact details, you should just accept those details and into your records. You shouldn't ask for proof of identity like a driver's license or other proof of address unless as I say that's your normal procedure. For example, you might want to do that if you're a licensed premises and you're serving someone who appears to be under 25. But the key takeaway is that your organisation should collect only the information that's needed as set out in government guidance, i.e. names and contact details. And be transparent with your customers about why you're collecting the data. Be clear, open and honest with them about what you're going to do with it. Tell them why you need it. Now, you might choose to do this instead of explaining it to every single person individually by displaying a notice clearly in your premises, perhaps adjacent to the QR code where they come into the building. However you gather the data, you must ensure that it's securely stored. And that's whether it's electronic data or names and addresses written on a piece of paper. You should also date and time it if you're returning on a piece of paper because after 21 days, you're required to destroy those records and if it is a paper record, you should do that by destroying it using a cross-cut shredder. Please don't use a old-fashioned, I'm tempted to call it spaghetti strip shredder, as that is not in line with GDPR. Very importantly, you can't use this information for any other purpose. So you can't use it to enhance your marketing. You can't use it to do an email shot of your Christmas offers out to those people. You can only use this data for NHS track and trace. If someone asks what your lawful basis is for collecting the data, you can simply refer them to the NHS Track and Trace website. And just a reminder, and we hope it doesn't happen, but if you have a confirmed positive case of COVID-19 in your workplace or in your restaurant or establishment, then you should consult the NHS Workplace Guidance on COVID-19, which you can find on the internet. And if there's more than one case, you should contact your local health protection team, HPT, to report the suspected outbreak. Again, you can find details of your local health protection team on the internet. Typically, they will be at your main local authorities. Once you've contacted them, the HPT will undertake a risk assessment, provide public health advice, and when necessary, establish a multi-agency incident management team to manage your COVID-ID-19 outbreak. We hope you find that information useful and reassuring in just what you need to collect how you need to keep it, what you need to do to destroy it, and how long you should keep it for. Stay in. Stay safe. To Sheffield now, where campaigners who are appealing for the council to publish a list of all the schools that have been hit with COVID-19 are being stifled by the council's reliance on GDPR. And the campaigners claim that this situation is leaving parents and pupils in anxious limbo. The campaign group called Boycott Return to Unsafe Stools has been tracking stools which have announced cases or outbreaks of COVID-19. Using letters from stools sent in by parents, they have created a map which shows all the closures up to the end of the last half term. However, they say there are now so many that they are unable to keep updating it. This week in Sheffield, both Burley Academy and Furvale Academy 
sent year groups home due to staff and students needing to self-isolate. Parents involved in the group have asked Sheffield Council to publish an official full list of the affected schools. However, they say this in past been told this is not possible due to GDPR. They're now lobbying the council to publish the list once again. Campaigner Jennifer Mohammed-Jones said, They say there are no outbreaks in Sheffield schools. Evidence says otherwise, and until they publish the schools affected, as they do in Wales, so no, they can't keep hiding behind GDPR. No one is buying it. The taste on the map of the beginning of term after summer until the end of the last half term. There have been more cases since then, from the start of this new half term, but the group are no longer mapping, as there's just too many. When we asked about the publication of a list of affected schools, the Director of Public Health at Sheffield City Council, Greg Fowl, said, At this time we are unable to give a definitive figure of the numbers of schools with confirmed COVID-19 cases. The figures change on a daily basis and schools will report confirmed traces of COVID-19 to a number of different places, not just Sheffield City Council. What we are able to confirm is that we are mainly seeing single cases or small clusters among pupils and staff in schools rather than outbreaks with large numbers of cases. This reflects the fact that the majority of virus transmission is in the community and relates to households rather than transmission taking place in the classroom. We are confident that all of our schools are taking appropriate measures, including isolating cases and contact bubbles. All settings are also receiving advice and support from the Department for Education, Sheffield City Council's Public Health Team and Public Health England. We have to say that in our view, Sheffield City Council have got this wrong. Whilst GDPR is obviously important, we fail to see how releasing details of numbers of pupils per school would infringe GDPR because the key element of an infringement is the release data which allows a single living individual to be positively identified. And we don't believe that to be the case in this instance. And so we would actually support the parents in their view that the Sheffield City Council should be releasing this information about their schools and the incidence of COVID-19. Anyone can spread coronavirus. Stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. We travel across to America now and specifically to the state of Delaware where the information of 10,000 citizens who got tested for COVID-19 in July and August was accidentally sent to an unauthorised person by the Delaware Division of Public Health. The division is now mailing letters to those impacted by the data breach, which was discovered on September 16th. It's understood that a temporary staff member sent two unencrypted emails in August to an unauthorised user that contained COVID-19 test results of about 10,000 Delaware citizens who were tested between July the 16th and August the 10th, and also on August the 15th. The emails were meant for internal distribution to call centre staff who assist individuals in obtaining their test results, but instead they were mistakenly sent to one unauthorised user. An investigation showed that there was no criminal element to this incident. The receiver of the emails, who was just a member of the public, alerted Delaware Public Health and said they had deleted the emails. Delaware Public House said there is no evidence that there has been any attempt to misuse any information, which included test dates and locations, and individuals' names and dates of birth, phone numbers and test results. There is no financial information or social security information shared in these emails. Delaware Public Health officials say there is a minimal to no risk of a patient's information being leaked elsewhere. Since the incident, the PH staff have been retrained, and additional training policies were put in place for temporary staff. The temporary staff member involved in this particular case is no longer employed by Delaware Public Health. Delaware Public Health also wants to reinforce procedures regarding sharing this type of information, including enforcing the importance of encrypting emails to improve safety. 
I understand during this pandemic there's a lot of interest in getting information faster and everyone has been busy in trying to do their best to meet expectations, not just internally but to the public, said Delaware Public Health Medical Director Dr Rick Hong. It's understood that Delaware Public Health have reported the data breach to the US Department of Health and Human Services and to the Delaware Department of Justice, as required by state law. Dr Hong said there's always some concern that this will have a ripple effect and impact our response to Top ID 19. I hope people see this as a positive that we decide to share this information and be transparent because we do understand the value of patient privacy. We will take proper measures to not only fix the problem but share what happened. He added the new procedures might mean a slower rate of getting test results to the public. We do want to focus on patient privacy and make sure that's protected and that may slow down certain processes like sharing results. There needs to be a balancing act regarding operating efficiency and patient privacy, he said. Delaware Public Health has established a call centre to answer questions about the incident. The call centre can be reached at 1-833-791-1663, Monday through Friday, from 9am to 9pm Eastern Time, excluding US holidays. And now, the rest of this week's news. Some breaking news as we go to broadcast. Manchester United have issued a press statement to update on a cyber security breach. Manchester United PLC can confirm that the club has experienced a cyber attack on its systems, the statement says. The club has taken swift actions to contain the attack and is currently working with expert advisors to investigate the incident and minimise any ongoing IT disruption. Although this is a sophisticated operation by organised cyber criminals, the club has extensive protocols and procedures in place for such an event and has rehearsed for this risk. Our cyber defence identified the attack and shut down affected systems to contain the damage and protect data. Club media channels, including the Manchester United website and mobile app, are unaffected and we are not currently aware of any breach of personal data associated with the fans or customers. All critical systems required for matches to take place at Old Trafford remain secure and operational and today's game against West Bromwich Albion will go ahead. As we say, this is very much breaking news and we expect to have an update on this data breach in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. There has been a data breach affecting popular children's game Animal Jam, Wildworks, the company who produced the game, have revealed. Animal Jam is one of the most popular games for children, ranking in the top five games in the 9 to 11 age category in Apple's App Store. Wildworks has been very forthcoming about the incident, making it easier for parents to protect both their information and their children's data. What we know so far is that in a detailed statement, Wildworks said that a hacker stole 46 million Animal Jam records in early October, but the company only learned of the breach in early November. The company said someone broke into one of its systems that the company uses for employees to communicate with each other and access a secret key that allowed the hacker to break into the company's user database. The bad news is that this stolen data is known to be circulating on at least one cybercrime forum, meaning that malicious hackers may use or already be using the stolen information. The stolen data dates back to cover the past 10 years, so former users may also be affected. Much of the stolen data wasn't highly sensitive, but the company warned that 32 million of the stolen records included the player's username, 23.9 million records had the player's gender, 14.8 million records contained the player's birth year, and 5.7 million records had the full date of birth of the player. But the company said the hacker also took about 7 million parent email addresses used to manage their kids' accounts. 
It also said that 12,653 parent accounts had the parent's full name and billing address and 16,131 parent accounts had the parent's name but no billing address. Besides the billing address, the company said no other billing data such as credit card information or other financial information was stolen. Wildworks also said that the hacker stole players' passwords, prompting the company to reset every player's password. It's not clear what algorithm the company has used to scramble passwords, and so the normal advice applies that if your child or you have an account with Animal Jam, we recommend that you not only reset your password with Animal Jam, but you reset that password whether you use the same password on any other services. Clearly, this is a very large data breach, and Wildworks are being very cooperative so we expect further updates on this data breach in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. To Ireland now, and the gym management software company Glowfox is investigating reports of a recent data breach in which users' personal details may have been compromised. Similar to Animal Jam, who we mentioned in the previous article, Dofots are believed to have been hacked by the well-known hacking group Shiny Hunters. While Glowfox have not responded to media requests, they have posted on Twitter responses to users who questioned about data being compromised. In a tweet, the company said, Hi all, we are currently investigating external reports of a data breach and we will communicate to any customers impacted as soon as we've completed our investigation. Some gyms in Ireland that use the Glowfox platform have also warned their members of a security incident. One gym in an email sent to users said Glowfox informed us that this was an isolated incident and they've identified and closed the path that led to the data breach. It's understood that no financial information or credit card details are believed to have been exposed, but personal information such as names, addresses, phone numbers, passwords and dates of birth may have been compromised. Glowfox provides business management software to fitness studios and gyms and earlier this year raised $10 million in funding and announced a new live streaming platform for gyms as it focused on helping the fitness industry navigate the coronavirus pandemic. It is unclear whether Glowfox have reported this to the Data Protection Commission of the DPC in Ireland, Ireland's equivalent of our ICO. If we receive any further update on this from Glowfox, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Witcher Show. What's up, Isabella? I'm fed up. I wish I had a new job. Have you tried Jubal? Jubal.org. We help people find jobs. Great. I will try it now. Regular listeners to the show will know that we have cited other countries where they have used GDPR as the basis for their new data protection rules so that GDPR is becoming the standard not just in Europe but right around the world. Canada is updating its data protection law and the new Consumer Privacy Protection Act, known as CPPA, seeks to update Canada's current Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act, PIPEDA, which dates back to 2000, when the data protection landscape was very different from where we are now. Professor Michael Geist, one of Canada's leading experts on digital law, describes CPPA as Canada's biggest privacy overhaul in decades. He notes that the current text is just a starting point, there's likely to be significant lobbying as the Act makes its way through Parliament and so the Act may take several years before it actually comes to be enforced. In terms of what's in the Act, the Privacy Commissioner of Canada will be given a new power to order the compliance with the law and recommend stiff new penalties for failing to do so. 
And again, this is where a lot has been based on GDPR because the penalties are recommended to be the higher of 10 million Canadian dollars or 3% of the organization's gross global revenue in its financial year before the one in which the penalty is imposed. But for breaches such as breaches of the security breach, disclosure rules, data retention requirements, identifying someone using de-identified data, except in limited circumstances, or sanctioning a whistleblower, the penalties can rise to 25 million Canadian dollars, or 5% of the organisation's gross global revenue. And the Canadian authorities are making clear that this will make it the highest penalty-serving data protection legislation currently worldwide. As with GDPR, the Act gives users specific rights to access to their data and correct any mistakes. And interestingly, on automated processing or the use of algorithms, the draft text says, if your organisation has used an automated decision system to make a prediction, recommendation or decision about the individual, the organisation must, on request by the individual, provide them with an explanation of the prediction, recommendation or decision, and how the personal information that was used to make the prediction, recommendation or decision was obtained. While this is based on Article 22 of GDPR, it actually goes far beyond what GDPR covers in the sense of algorithms and perhaps is reflecting the increased use of algorithms recently in response to the Top ID 19 outbreak. Another idea suggested in the Act is that organisations may create a code of practice which provides for substantially the same or greater protection of personal information as some or all of the protection provided under the Act. On the key matters of standard of consent, the Bill establishes basic requirements for what must be included in consent for consent to be valid. There is prohibition on making consent a requirement for a product or service beyond what is strictly necessary, again very strongly based on GDPR. Like GDPR, the Act covers the data relating to living Canadian citizens, whether or not they are currently resident in Canada. So even though the precise wording of this Act is likely to change as it makes its way through the Canadian Parliament, it's clear to see how it's strongly based on GDPR, and we hope that it will be brought into Canadian legislation, because then it will bring Canada into the fold and make Canada one of those countries where their data protection laws are considered equivalent to GDPR. To Belgium now, where the Belgian Data Protection Authority, the BDPA, in a decision of the 9th of November of its litigation chamber, following a complaint by an individual against his employer, has established that there are circumstances where, in the employer-employee relationship, Employee consent to the storage of data by the employer can be voluntarily given. This is a major change from the normal understanding that in a normal employee-employer relationship, it's always felt that consent cannot be voluntarily given. So to give a bit of background, the complaint was filed by an employee affiliated with Trade Union A, and it related to a mechanism put in place in 2008 by the employer that employees affiliated with another trade union, Trade Union B, could allow the employer to deduct from their salary their trade union membership fees. According to the employer, when the original scheme was put in place in 2008, all of its employees were only members of Trade Union B. When some employees started joining Trade Union A, the employer offered the same possibility to Trade Union B, but the employee in question refused. In the complaint, the employer alleged that this processing was unlawful, and led to discrimination based on trade union membership. In its investigation, the BDPA did not find any evidence of discrimination, 
but received information from the employer on how the processing in question took place, as well as a copy of the document their employees were asked to sign if they wished to make use of this possibility. Based on the document, a form of individual written authorisation, the BDPA observed that the legal ground claimed for the processing was explicit consent, although the employer did not label it as such. In terms of purpose and scope, the BDPA noted that the processing was limited to the mere deduction of trade union membership fees, the employer indicated that the data was not processed for any other purpose, and the BDPA did not uncover any evidence or suggest otherwise. Other than the employee signed document, however, none of this has been formalised in writing. Everything was based on an oral agreement between the employer and the trade union. On 30th of June 2019, during the course of the BDPA investigation, the employer brought an end to the decade-long processing activity. Now, it's important to stress that the BDPA should only look at what had taken place since the 25th of May 2018, when GDPR came into force. Now, to give a bit of scope within GDPR, according to Article 9.1 of GDPR, the process and personal data related to trade union membership is prohibited as it's considered as special category data. If the employer is to process such data, it needs explicit consent from the employee. The litigation chamber therefore examined whether the conditions of explicit consent were fulfilled. So what it looked at was A. Had the consent been freely given by the employee to the employer? In this case, the litigation chamber decided that it was indeed so. In reaching this decision, the litigation chamber drew upon Article 29 Working Party subsequent guidelines on consent under GDPR, which state that an employee can only validly consent to data processing by his employer if the employer does not draw any advantage from the processing. Well, in this case, that's truly the case because the employer doesn't gain any benefit from subtracting this amount from the employee's pay and paying it to the union. And so condition A is satisfied. In condition B, they said, was the consent tied to one specific purpose, limited to the mere deduction of trade union membership fees? And again, the litigation chamber considered that in this case, that was true. However, under part C, when it looked in relation to the requirement of informed consent, as interpreted by the Working Party 29, it found failings in the employer's approach. Based on the samples provided by the parties, employees did not appear to have been informed of their right to withdraw consent. In practice, this is an often overlooked requirement. Perhaps it's a timely reminder there to remind everyone that under GDPR, not only must consent be freely given, but the removal of consent must be as easy as the giving of consent. And it's important you bear that in mind when you're designing processes within your own organisation, not just applying to employees, but applying to individuals generally. But the other condition then, D, the litigation chamber held that the consent in question was indeed explicit and thus also unambiguous. In other words, in this particular circumstance, the particular form of employee consent was deemed to be freely given, specific and explicit, and so could be considered valid under the GDPR. However, the litigation chamber did criticise the employer for the fact that its relationship with Trade Union B was apparently purely an oral agreement and never made in writing. In conclusion, the litigation chamber said that it would not be imposing any penalty on the employer for not fully complying with the requirements, as after the report of the BDPA's inspection, the employer had ended the processing activity, notably based on the recommendation of the employer's own data protection officer. There was no deliberate attempt to find a way round data protection rules, and the employee was not actually concerned by the processing activity. So an interesting example of why each case must be taken on its merits and certainly for us, a case which we will refer back to 
should circumstances similar to this arise in future, as it's set an important precedent with regard to whether it's ever possible for an employee to give informed consent and voluntary consent under GDPR. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. The Spanish Data Protection Authority, the AEPD, has approved a code of conduct for data processing in advertising. This is the first GDPR-approved code of conduct with an accredited monitoring body in the EU. The code comes into effect on November the 17th, 2020. The code boldly applies to any processing of personal data carried out for advertising purposes, including sending direct marketing communications and using cookies and other technologies with targeted advertising. The code only applies to the processing of personal data carried out in the context of activities of members based in Spain or that affect data subjects residing in Spain, providing that the processing relates to the offering of goods or services to data subjects in Spain or involves the monitoring of the behaviour of data subjects in Spain. Any entities active in the advertising industry can become a member of the Code. The Code lays down a number of obligations for its members in relation to data protection by design and by default, identifying the appropriate legal basis for the data processing, informing data subjects about the processing of their personal data, the data subjects' right to object to the processing of their data, advertising opt-out lists, and consent for using cookies for advertising purposes. The Code is owned by Autocontrol, the Association para la Autoregulación de la Comunicación Comercial. Autocontrol is a non-profit organisation that acts as a self-regulating and supervisory body for the advertising industry in Spain, so rather like the IAB here in the UK. The advertising jury, the Gerardo de la Publicidad, monitors the compliance with the code. The advertising jury is an independent body of auto-control that is specialised in the field of denatological and advertising matters. Where there are cases of non-compliance, the code creates an out-of-course dispute resolution system. A member can choose between either having the advertising jury decide on the complaint or start mediation before the mediation unit of auto-control. If the advertising jury concludes the member has breached the code, it will decide what GDPR sanction to apply to the member. If the member does not comply with the mediation agreement or decisions on the advertising jury, the Board of Directors of Auto Control will take disciplinary measures stipulated in their statutes and inform the AEPD about these measures. So a really significant step forward there by the Spanish authorities and hopefully this standard will spread across Europe and indeed here to the UK. And finally this week, the Belgian DPA finds itself in the news. Two directors of the Belgian DPA have distanced themselves from an official statement given by the regulator after several of its members were accused of violating EU independence requirements. According to a complaint filed anonymously with the EU Commission on Thursday, four out of seven members of the authorities' panel that gives opinions on Belgian draft laws failed the independence requirements set out in Europe's privacy law, GDPR. In response to the complaint, a spokesperson from the Belgian DPA said that the country's parliament appointed individuals according to criteria set out in GDPR and that the individuals themselves had declared the absence of any conflicts of interest. The spokesperson said there have been discussions in Belgium concerning the nomination of some of our external members, but for most of them the decision was taken by the Belgian parliament in spring 2019 and there are no new elements. Nevertheless, we know the parliament is looking into this matter again and we hope it will be resolved soon. But in a twist, two of the authorities' directors have distanced themselves from the regulator and the head of the regulator, David Stevens. Charlotte Direp and Alexandra Jasper said, 
The position expressed by Mr Stevens as a position of the Belgian DPA has not been submitted, nor hence approved, by the DPA's Board of Directors. The Belgian Parliament has to take a decision in this matter. Neither the DPA nor its individual members should interfere in this official process. The panel accused of violating independence rules is known as the Knowledge Centre, which gives opinions on whether draft bills or government initiatives comply with data protection requirements. The complainants have said that the inclusion of top civil servants, Frank Robin, Nicholas Wayat and Severin Waterbleh, on the panel runs counter to GDPR requirements for members to remain free from external influence. The development raises the stakes in a long-running battle which we've reported previously here on the GDPR Weekly Show between the lead European regulator, Belgium, for Mastercard and the IAB, an ad tech lobby whose online advertising framework is currently being investigated. Of those targeted in the EU complaint, Robin is perhaps the most well-known in Belgium and is behind many of the country's public data initiatives, including its Job ID 19 contact tracing app. Waterblay is a top civil servant in the Economy Ministry, while Wayat heads up the country's official statistics institute. A fourth member, Bart Pernille, is targeted by the complaint because of his membership in a committee, the Committee de Security de l'Information, that authorises certain public sector data sharing. The committee itself is accused in separate complaint with the Commission filed in July of violating bans in the GDPR on pre-authorising data projects. The Commission now has 12 months to examine the complaint and decide whether or not to start formal infringement proceedings. We will keep an eye on these proceedings if they happen and we'll bring news of them to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk and I look forward to speaking to you again same time, same place, next week. Have a good week everybody and remember to keep your data safe. And cut. That's a wrap. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Until next time, bye bye.